Welcome again to Club 46, driven by Bridgestone. This week, our all-time Browns great, I'm going to call him Mr. Browns, because I don't think anybody else can have that title. Doug Deacon. Doug, so good to see you again. Well, uh, pleasure to be here, but there's a lot of great ones that uh, are Mr. Brown before me. 48 years you have in some way, shape, or form been with the Cleveland Browns, going all the way back to the time you were drafted in 1971. What do you make of that when you say that out loud, 48 years with one organization? Well, I'm very fortunate and uh, very lucky. I just, you know, it's sometimes it's, it's not always about the talent. It's sometimes it's being at the right place at the right time. And, uh, you know, you, you talk about players and they say, well, he didn't have that talent. Sometimes it's just being at the right place. And I, I guess my example would be when I was drafted by the Browns. I'd never played tackle in my life. And they drafted me and kind of, you know, remember the phone call, uh, Nick Scorridge says, I mean, we just drafted you in the sixth round as an offensive tackle. And I says, what? And he says, offensive <laughs> tackle. I said, any chance that I'll get to play tight end? And he says, well, well, we'll see when you get here. And when he gave me a 73 number, and I said, well, I'm dead on that one. <laughs> so we made the best of the situation, and uh, it turned out well. You've seen some great football here, part of some terrific teams during your 14-year playing career. Four times you were on teams that made the playoffs. As a player, what are some of the more memorable, what's the most memorable football game you ever played in as a member of the Cleveland Browns? Well, you know, most people would look at it as a negative, but I would say the Red Right 88 game, yeah. uh, just the season, it encompassed a team that just came and played together as a team and might have been played better than what we were, but uh, you know, each, each week somebody would come up and make a play, and uh, that was important. Uh, I mean, kind of the reason for the success. But you know, when I, my first year here, it was, I, I caught the tail end of some of the 64 championship guys, you mm -hmm. know, Shafraff, Hickerson, Leroy, Gary Collins, my uh, boyhood, boyhood hero. Uh, and you know, it was like, these guys expected it to win on, on Sunday. And then all of a sudden they got old and they retired and they had a rebuild and, and we had one season we started out 0-9. And, uh, you know, you, you're going like, oh, boy, this, this is a little tougher than I thought because you kind of got spoiled where, you know, those first two years you're in the playoffs and you, you play the Colts one year and then you lose to the undefeated Dolphins team the next year in the playoffs. And uh, then, then you go about, you know, eight more years before you make the playoffs again. You mentioned the Red Right 88 game, and that, of course, is synonymous with Cleveland sports history. What are your recollections of the play and the immediate aftermath? Well, I mean, it was one of those things where uh, Brian had an unbelievable year. I mean, he was the league MVP, and uh, anything that uh, involved Brian, you just trusted. And the irony of the whole situation, the guy that made the interception, Mike Davis, you know, they say that he had the worst hands in the history of the Raiders, and, and it's like uh, 32 below zero, and he catches the ball, and it was it was obviously the one of the coldest days I've, you could ever have to play football. But when that pass got intercepted, how quiet eighty thousand got in such a short period of time, and it was just like dead silence. And uh, you know, I went home, and I, I didn't even want to go out that night. My brother happened to be in town. And he said, "Ah, oh, come on, you got to go out." 
So we went, uh, we went out and there was a, a Victoria station where the guys used to go after the game and, and it was, people were so appreciative of the season and you know, you were down and you felt like, you know, you, you kind of left that night and you felt a little better about it. When you look back at it, um, was that, a, was that a Browns team that could have won the Super Bowl? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, the Raiders, who we lost, uh, I think they went on and did. They did. So uh, it was, you know, we would have had to play the Chargers the next week uh, had we won that game because they, they won their uh, playoff game. And we had played them earlier in the year. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's a team that, you know, could have. At what point did you finally put that loss behind you? Probably, uh, you know, month or so. I mean, it was, you always thought about it. What if? You know, what if? And, and it's, it was such a, uh, you know, it was such a cold day, and, and you, did, you couldn't even wear cleats because this was before they had the heating systems in the field. And we actually had, uh, they called them broom ball shoes, and they were like tennis shoes with suction cups. <laughs> the, and uh, the, the good part about it is everybody came down to our speed, the offensive lines, you know, all these quick guys. Uh, but uh, it, it was, it was uh, without a doubt, I don't know how the people in the stands sat there for, uh, you know, the three hours. It was cold. Who were some of your favorite teammates? Oh, I think the guys on the offensive line, Robert Jackson, <laughs> Cody, uh, Tom DeLeon, uh, unfortunately Thomas passed, uh, Henry Shepard, and then, you know, Jerry Shirk was one of my, I went through a lot of roommates. Dino Hall, probably one of my favorites too. Brian uh, Seip, uh, you know, just, there was a lot of just guys that, uh, we had a lot of good team chemistry. And I think, you know, sometimes that can take a good team and make it a better team. And uh, I think that that was one of the keys. And, and it starts with the quarterback. If the quarterback is, you know, a team player, I think it makes it a lot easier for everybody to follow suit. You have so many great stories, and I'm sure you've told them countless times through the years. But as you look back on your playing career, just that 14-year stretch, what's your favorite Cleveland Browns story? I think, you know, the 1980 season was, was special. Uh, it, just the way that the town wrapped itself around the team, you know, everything was cardiac kid this, cardiac kid that. They had a song for every, you know, everything that went on. And uh, it, I don't know if you can, you can put it to one thing. It, it's just, you know, there's years that uh, you sat there and, you know, you would hope they'd never end. And then there was years you'd say, when's this thing going to be over? <laughs> Let's go way back. Um even before your Illinois days. What, what was Doug Deacon, the young teenager, like? Uh, you know, I think I was fortunate. I, fortunate I, I grew up in an era where they allowed you to play three sports. Mm -hmm. um, you know, today I think you see in high school where, you know, where you're going to be a football player, you're going to be a basketball player. And I actually, uh, you know, you didn't have peewee football back then. So when football uh, came around my freshman year in high school. It was the first time I got a chance to play. You know, the, my brother was 6'8", and I thought I was going to be 6'8", and I was going to be a basketball player. And, 
and the uh, basketball coach says, if, if you want to go out for uh, basketball, I want you in shape. So you're either going to go out for or cross country or football. I said, well, that's a pretty easy choice. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I went out for football. That was your first taste of it? That 14? was my first taste, yeah. Wow. And so, uh, you know, I was a wide receiver. Uh, I actually uh, ended up being an all-state wide receiver two years. And uh, then I went to Illinois. You know, I end up playing wide receiver. I was a starting wide receiver. You couldn't play as a freshman on the varsity. I was a starting wide receiver my uh, sophomore year. Then my junior and senior year, I was a tight end. So my senior year, I remember uh, there was a scout there, you know, happened to be at practice one day watching me. It was Lou Groza. Wow. And uh, actually that day, they, they actually had me playing defense. We were a little thin on the ranks. Uh, we, we didn't have a good football team. but. Uh, that was one of the first pro football players I ever met, and uh, I thought he was a hell of a scout. <laughs> he made at least one good decision. <laughs> what was that transition like for you? I mean, you're going to the highest level of the sport, and you're making a substantial position change. Um, you know, it was like it just I got to find a way to make this work. And uh, what would happen was we'd go to training camp, and training camp back then was you know about five weeks. Then you had the six exhibition games. So every uh, day after practice, they would line up about four or five defensive ends, and I would take pass protection against four or five different guys beyond what we did at practice. And uh, you know I don't know if practice made perfect, but practice made me better. It usually does. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned some of the guys that you played with on, on the offensive line. That was a memorable group. Um, who stood out to you as, as the biggest character, the biggest personality on that offensive line? Well, I don't know if there was a, a well, uh, go back to when I started, though. Uh, I played next to Gene Hickerson, uh, who got into the Hall of Fame uh, later than he should have. He should have been in first ballot. but. Uh, Playing next to Gene was an experience, and uh, we used to have it when they, they run a stunt, tackle and crisscross, the rule was the guard would pick it up first, the first guy. So we're playing the Raiders, and uh, Gene's guy comes over and whacks me. And I turn to him, we used to call him old man. I say, hey, old man, it's guard first man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple plays later, same thing. Gene, damn it, it's guard first man. <laughs> and Gene's a finger waver, and he goes, "No, no, no, guard first choice." So, <laughs> but uh, and so I, I played next to Gene for three years, and then uh, I got uh, Robert Jackson, and uh, we're partners in an insurance company. Uh, and Gene was immensely talented, but so was Robert. But uh, Robert was probably one of the smartest guys I've ever played with. I mean, he just. You know, bing, 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 he could make calls for you. And then you had Tom DeLeon, who was the feisty one. And then you had Henry Shepard, who was uh, kind of looked like Charlie Manson. And then you had uh, <laughs> Cody Risen, who was, uh, I call him my son, and he calls me dad. But uh, it, it was a, just a good group of guys that uh, we did everything together. And uh, it was, it was, it was a, the meeting rooms were fun. They were colorful. What was it about that cardiac kids group that waited to the last minute every time? Well, we didn't plan on waiting to the last minute. <laughs> it just worked out <laughs> that way. It just worked out that way. Uh, what did it say, though, collectively about the team's character 
that when push came to shove, more often than not, you guys rose to the occasion and got it done. Well, I think it, you know, it starts with the quarterback. You know, and, and Brian, uh, Brian had just an unbelievable year, but Brian was that guy that when he came into huddle, he could sell you that. Just give me just one, just one more second, and I can, you know, we can, we can do this. And uh, he made you believe in him. And you know, but it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to do it. And Brian was doing it game after game. He just kept making uh, plays. And you know, here's a guy that was what, like a 17th round draft pick, and you had a guy that was the third overall pick in the draft, uh, Mike Phipps. And you know, Brian comes in. There's, you know, what's talk about a long shot of making it, and over the course of time. And I think, you know, uh, you know, coaching has a, a lot to do with it because Brian uh, was there when Blanton Collier came back to be a quarterback coach, which, you know, obviously Blanton was a brilliant mind. And then he got Jim Schaffner as a, a quarterback coach. And, uh, you, know, it, you know, coaching has a lot to do with it. And we were very fortunate. We had, you know, good uh, offensive line coaches. We had Rod Eumannick for a while, and then we had Howard Mudd. You mentioned that you've had so many wonderful teammates I'm wondering if there's a player that the Browns have had on their roster post your playing career that you've watched and said, gosh, I would have liked to have been his teammate. Well, yeah, I think there's, there's you know, I, and it's funny because uh, I always used to make fun of the kickers, but Phil Dawson was one of my favorite players and because uh, he was a football player first and he was a kicker after that. <laughs> you know, and, and I tell you, Tim Couch, uh, you know, the beating he took, you know, his first couple years here and never complained about it, just, you know, a lot of respect. I wouldn't want to have been uh, Joe Thomas's teammate because that would have meant I wouldn't have had a job. <laughs> it would have been fun to play on a line oh, with you like yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you see any similarities between you and Joe? It uh, seems like just on the surface, played in the Big Ten, from the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know, Joe, um, uh, Joe's by far, you know, I don't know, they probably didn't have the technique, you know, studies that, you know, back when I played, it was kind of, just go do what you can do and make sure the guy doesn't hit the quarterback. And I, you know, I always tell kids, you know, I always look at it as it's a boxing match that if you start to lose, you turn it into a street fight. And, uh, you know, I got a few holding penalties. Uh, I, I did a little leg whipping, but, you know, and, which means, you know, basically I was probably one of the more unorthodox offensive linemen where Joe, I mean, just pure technique and a technician I mean he it, it he makes it he makes a, a tough job look easy and uh, utmost respect for you know his Hall of Fame career Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns performance when it matters most that's why Bridgestone dueler tires boast up to an 80,000 mile limited warranty so they're in it for the long haul because nothing says endurance like season after season of clutch performance Bridgestone official tire of the Cleveland Browns conditions apply log on to BridgestoneTire.com warranty for details how do you think your career would have played out if a team had drafted Doug Deacon and said, we're going to have Doug do what he's done. We're going to make him a tight end or, or a pass catcher in the, in the league. 
Well, I averaged uh, 12 yards per reception, which is better than Ozzie's. Uh, I only had one. He had 600 and some. But uh, And your touchdown <laughs> percentage ratio was 100%. 100%. No, uh, you know, it, it's it just, it was, it was somebody made the right call. I mean, I when I got here, we had two tight ends, Milt Morin and Chip Glass. And... Uh, you know, neither neither one of those would be considered of uh, Ozzie's fluid style of playing. But right. that was, you know, that was the transition to the pass catching tight end mm -hmm. from the old blocking tight end. So I probably could have been a blocking tight end. In fact, you know, on short yardage situations, I would be one of the blocking tight ends. Right. And then you'd, you know, have to go out if you were successful for a play and then come back in. But, uh, uh, you know, you know, sometimes somebody just looks down on you and takes care of you. Yeah. Were you lobbying with your various coaches through your career as a Brown to run a route, a trick play, catch a ball in the end zone? Were, were well, you pushing no, for that? Well, yeah, well, unfortunately, when Sam came along, Sam was uh, uh, the receivers coach for the Denver Broncos when I played in the Senior Bowl. So he was my receivers coach. He never threw me a pass. Uh, he kind of ended my career early. Uh, but, you know, and I, I hadn't thought about it, but I played in the blue-gray game, and uh, one of the tackles got hurt, and we didn't have another tackle. So they, uh, Bobby Bowden, who was coaching at West Virginia at the time, was mm -hmm. our head coach. He moved me to tackle for a uh, quarter, and that was the first time I ever played tackle, and I had no clue whatsoever. I mean, I had no practice whatsoever playing tackle. How'd it go? I survived. We won the game. <laughs> Do you look back at that, perhaps, moment as yeah, I when it all really happened? That it might have been my biggest mistake going in there and doing it. <laughs> <laughs> or your no, biggest break. Yeah, my, my biggest break. And I, I, I truly can reflect back now and say, yeah, it was my biggest break because... Uh, I wouldn't have lasted, you know, uh, 14 years and played every game uh, during that uh, time as a tight end. Yeah. So take us through your your lone catch in the NFL, a touchdown. Uh, it was it was actually on a fake field goal, mm -hmm. and it was supposed to go to uh, uh, Matt Barr and uh, Paul McDonald was the holder, and I, you know, was so wide open that you know even Paul couldn't miss me. So that wasn't drawn up that way. No, it was it was drawn up just to get the ball to Matt Barr and get a first down and then go in. And uh, I was pretty wide open, and you know, I, I, it was one of those that got bigger and bigger as it was coming. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we were playing the Oilers, and my nemesis for 13 years, Alvin Bethay, he wasn't there that week. Which you know, I just would have loved to do it. And, and Alvin, uh, Hall of Famer. Was, is, is one of my favorite opponents, just really a good guy. What was it about Alvin that you enjoyed playing against? Uh, gee, this is competitive spirit. I mean, he, he, I mean, obviously, I said he was in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, he would be yelling at me, and then when he found out I wasn't going to pay any attention, he'd yell at the guard next to me and stuff like that. <laughs> and he was about this tall, and uh, just a, a, a really... Uh, great football player and, and when I retired he came in for a retirement dinner for me and the year before when prior to mine when he retired I went down to his and uh, you know it's you know you hate the guy across you you know for 60 minutes 
but you also gain a lot of respect. And sure. He is uh, one of those guys. Uh, another guy would be Leroy Selman. I mean, he was one of the classiest guys that I've uh, ever played against, but, you know, Hall of Fame player that uh, you know, could kick your tail on, on a Sunday afternoon. When you were at the point of your career where you knew it was at the end, take us through that, the decision uh, to retire and, and what that what that eventually was like. Well, I always figured retiring was uh, quitting, so I wasn't going to quit. And they basically kind of told me it's, we're going to go on with a you know younger guy and uh, probably rightfully so because they'd uh, it was when they had signed Bernie Kosar, and I was already played 14 years and was pretty beat up. So uh, they said we wanted to break in a we want to break in a new left tackle with the quarterback. And I was very you know getting back to the timing situation. I was very fortunate that uh, Gib Shanley had decided that he wanted to go out to L.A. and that opened up a, uh, a spot in the radio booth, and I ended up there and been there for a while. Been there for a while, indeed, and and you mentioned that that's really been your second and and your longest career. That's your other office, um, and you've been there for 32 years. And I'm hoping that we can walk over there and talk a little bit about your second career with the Cleveland Browns. You good with that? Oh yeah. Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Performance when it matters most, which is why Bridgestone tires are built for just that. Whether it's driving up to 50 miles to safety after a flat, confident control in wet conditions, or the dependability of an 80,000-mile limited warranty, Bridgestone's roster of tires has got you covered. Bridgestone, official tire of the Cleveland Browns. Conditions apply. Log on to BridgestoneTire.com slash warranty for details. Browns fans have been blessed to uh, to have some pretty good play-by-play guys, legends really, Nev Chandler and then Casey Coleman and now of course Jim Donovan. You had a chance to work with all three of these guys. What What is it about them? What was it about Nev and, and Casey and what is it about Jim that makes them so good at their jobs? Well, I think, you know, I see a lot of similarities with uh, Nev and Jim. Casey was more laid back and, you know, he he was like his dad, Ken. He, he did it more like that, where, uh, you know, Jim and uh, Nev were perfectionists. I mean, they wanted everything right and uh, just amazing talents. And I guess you feel pretty lucky that, you know, you think you're lucky to play 14 years. You're pretty lucky to get good broadcasters to broadcast with like that. Yeah. Uh, Jim's call last year from the win uh, sticks out in my mind as one that I'll always remember. I'm sure you will too. Do, do you have special calls, plays, games that you remember through the years more than others? Well, I remember his run, William run, and then mm-hmm. uh, the chubba wubba lubbo, and he's beating the crap out of me up here in the booth. You know, the funny thing about the Chubb run, I think we were down on like the, what, the two-yard line or eight-yard line. And he says, you think we can get it out of here? Oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> then he breaks it. I'm just, See, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> did you, when, when you started uh, this ride so many years ago, did you ever, in your wildest dreams, imagine that it would take you all the way into your 70th year, and who knows how long you can continue this. Well, I, you know, you, you never think about like, you know, it's when you're playing, you never, you know, plan on retiring. It's just that, you know, at some point, time dictates that you got to do it. 
you know, same with this. You know, I'm enjoying it uh, as long as you know the people enjoy me, or you know, I don't offend too many. Then, then you know, we'll like to continue. But uh, more importantly, I'd like to continue till they get to the Super Bowl. That's what your that's what your gear your goal is. Here. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, playing, broadcasting, whatever you do, that's what you want. I mean, you you know, you want to have that game where, uh, you know, it it makes a big difference. What's more enjoyable for you, lining up on the line of scrimmage or taking a vantage point from high in the sky and never taking a glove? I think playing. I mean, you can't you can't replace that. That that's just that's a special thing. Uh, you know, it's one-on-one -on -one or 11-on-11, 11 11, uh, whatever way you want to, you know, look at it, but just competing and, uh, you know, trying to win. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, by the end of the day, you know, you're happy and they're not. So you come into it with, with no experience, little bit of advice. As you were sliding into the role of color analyst, who were the guys' voices that were bouncing in your head? Did you have any role models that you listened to or liked growing up? No, you know, yeah, I didn't really uh, watch that many. As, you know, I said the, the first pro football game I ever saw was probably the year before I got drafted and somebody had given me tickets to a Bears game and I go up there and they happened to be playing the Browns and uh, <laughs> that was the first live game I'd ever seen. And uh, I always remember it because it's got one of those uh, greatest hits where Butkus just killed Ron Johnson. But I guess when I was playing, you know, the network guys would, you know, come to practice and Merlin would, Olsen would always come over and he'd always talk and we'd, we'd go. And, and you got an idea of what he was, you know, fishing for, information, what he, you know, what you were planning on doing. And I guess, you know, he was such a nice, gentle guy for such a big guy uh, and he you know he did such a great job on games and I said boy you know this guy's pretty good you know and, that, and he got an idea of how you you would talk to people and stuff like that so I guess if, if I had a role model it would have been Merlin yeah catchers make great color analysts in baseball for the most part because they have such a great knowledge of how to handle pitchers and what they're thinking why is it that so many of the really good color analysts in football are linemen. Well, I think sometimes you, you, you don't try to overcook the, the dinner. I mean, you, you can sit there and talk about things that uh, a person might not understand. I mean, I think you have to break it down to, this is what I'm seeing, I want you to see what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, you know, when you start, you know, using tech, uh, technical terms that, you know, people aren't familiar with and, and things like that, you know, you're, you're talking to everybody, just not that hardcore, you know, guy that knows football. You're talking to the other fans, too. You know, Jimmy paints such a great picture, you know. I'm, you know, he's like Picasso. I'm just the guy <laughs> throwing darts. <laughs> From that spot in the radio booth, um, you've seen more Cleveland Browns football than anyone. And I, I think we both would say that's an easy assumption. What do you make of what you see of this group? How good can this group be? Well, this group can be real good. I mean, you have to put wins over stats. 
and uh, it gets back to the team aspect and you know everybody does their job it's don't let Fred do it it's Blanton Kyra say you do it and uh, I just think that you know in a short period of time uh, John Dorsey has flipped the roster to the point that you know it's you can see where he's going in the building process uh, first you get the quarterback then you get the playmakers then you get depth. Then you get the special teams guys. And, uh, you know, it's, it's in a short period of time, it's been a pretty miraculous job of, you know, assembling and just flipping the roster uh, to, you know, get football players. Watching that last football game at the old stadium was one of the more difficult things you've ever had to see. And there's been some stretches of football since the rebirth that we all wish we could unsee. Yeah. But as you see now this rejuvenation of one of the NFL's most passionate fan bases, what does that mean to you to go from that absolute valley of losing football in Cleveland to where they are now? You know, it's, it's funny because the people in in Cleveland, they wear their emotions on their sleeve. I mean, when I used to do uh, the morning exchange and I would drive down to the station at, you know, 6.30 in the morning to do it, I could tell by the way people drove whether we won or lost. <laughs> I mean, you know, if they, if they won, go ahead, move right in. If they lost, what's that middle finger for? <laughs> uh, uh, but no, I mean, that's the way these people feel about their, their football. And it's, it's so infectious to the whole city when, when, when they win and when things are rolling. Uh, I, those are the days, you know, that you enjoy. And, you know, it's, it's been tough for quite a few years. I mean, you know, you go through the Kozar here. I mean, those were fun times. Uh, you know, the, the sight, uh, the cardiac kids, those were, you know, fun. And like I said, when I grew up, my, one of my favorite football players was Gary Collins because he got those three touchdown passes in, in the championship game. And then, you know, I got a chance to play with the guy. What and was that like meeting him for the first time? It was, you know, it's like, wow, this is Gary Collins. <laughs> then it's time got on, I said, Oh, he's a little different. <laughs> no, no, Gary, <laughs> Gary, Gary, uh, it was just an honor to be his teammate. I mean, yeah. it's like it's an honor to be Leroy's and Gene Hickerson's. I mean, those, uh, but there's a lot of other guys, you know, that didn't make the Hall of Fame, like Clay Matthews, who deserves to be there, Dino, and as I talk about Robert Jack, all these guys, they were just, you know, it, it was a fun group of guys to be around. One final question for you. Um, how do you hope... Cleveland Browns fans remember Doug Deacon? Well, I, I, I think you kind of base your career on dependability, you know, being able to uh, show up every Sunday and play or, uh, you know, the only games I've ever missed have been as a broadcaster. You know, football was a little tougher, but I, I missed a couple as a broadcaster. Uh, yeah, just, you know, somebody, you know, just a regular Joe that, got lucky. No one's been more dependable than Doug Deacon. In fact, over the last 48 years, just two Browns games have happened without him being in attendance. Pretty incredible. But I watched him. Wow, that's a lot of football. Doug, thanks so much. We appreciate you stopping by. 
make sure you check us out next week when we have another all-time Browns great in Club 46, driven by Bridgestone.